you know, it's got a little bit of everything. So, but basically, I want to start off the story with hurt people hurt people, and healed people heal people. And my past and my family, they came from generations of hurt, generations after generations of hurt. And so when I, my youngest brother is, they're all older than me. I have five older brothers, so I grew up tough, right? Yeah. So, um, but my youngest brother and I, uh, we have the same mom and the same dad. My dad is the dad for all of my brothers, but we all have different moms. And um, when, we, when I was one and my brother was two and a half, my mom left us on my dad's doorstep and left. She was an alcoholic, and she didn't really know what to do with her life. So she left us there, and she just went away. And um, so my dad raised us, and my dad was our rock. He was our safe place. He, was, he provided in every way he could. Um, and when I was six years old, he got married again. Unfortunately, my stepmom, she had a lot of hurts in her heart, and when these hurts were brought up, and old judgments and things like that, bitter root judgments, we talked about those, and she became verbally and emotionally abusive. And so for most of my life, I took care of myself. I was in a place where it was like, okay, it's me against the world, and I'm going to protect my heart, and I'm going to protect myself, and... I just, you know, it was, it was a, every day we didn't know what we'd get. We'd walk in. We didn't know if it'd be another war zone. We didn't know if we'd have to go hide, you know. And um, I remember when I was in sixth grade, my stepmom pulled me out of the car by my hair. And just a lot of experiences like that. So just, just very, very abusive. And um, so I learned at that age, at that young age, to go, that I could find love in relationships, that I could find and feel safe in relationships. And so I started filling this hole of love. I started filling this hole that I wasn't getting at home, and, and I started filling this hole with love and um, that wasn't of God. So eventually, when that falled, fell short, because it is going to fall short, because it's not what we're made to be filled by. We're made to be filled by God's love. So when that fell short, the pain became too much. The pain was too much. And so my heart just felt like it was being ripped open. And I had no place to put the pain. I had no place to go. I felt, I felt this hole just get wider and bigger and bigger. And so I went to alcohol to try and numb the pain. But when that didn't work, I went to drugs to try and numb the pain. So here I was just in this downward spiral. And I mean, just going quickly down. And I didn't know how quickly down, but the Lord knew. And I was not raised in church. I had not, you know, I'd probably gone to church five times, and it was all Christmas or Easter. And um, so I didn't really know anything about Jesus, anything about the Bible. And so in this place of pain, in this place of just complete distraught heartache, this heartache that life brings, I was so lost, and I was so broken. And the Lord, in his goodness, saw that. And he just came right in, and I mean just right in. And I, had, I wasn't in a church, and I wasn't in a church family, but I was just sitting there one day, and the Lord's presence just fell on me. And he just went face to face with my heart. And in a moment, I knew where if you had asked me a week before, I would have told you, maybe God exists, maybe, but how could a God whose love send his children to hell? That's what I would have told you. And exactly in one week later, the Lord showed me who he was. And he went face to face with my heart. 
And in just one moment, I felt this peace, P-E-A-C-E and P-I-E-C-E, fall into place that I was always missing. And I just remember, I remember the moment that I asked him in my heart, and there was just, when that fell into place, I, I didn't know how. And like I said, my dad was my safe place, and I didn't know how, but I was just like, Father, I know you. I know you. And it was just this love I'd never felt before come into place. Oh, so good. And I remember, and I had no reservations that, that God was so as real as you and I, just as real and living and breathing as you and I, because he had just lifted the veil of who he was, you know, like a groom lifts the veil of a bride's face. That's what he did to my heart. And I remember he, it was just, I would go and I would spend time in his presence. And it was just like, we were best friends. Like, like he just, and there was no reservation that he was just as real as you and I were, that he wanted to talk to me, talk to my heart. And so, um, and I knew that I knew that I knew it was God. I knew in my bones. And I remember, I remember um, the people around me, they had a hard time with this. They had a hard time believing that God talked. Because you remember, I was in the broken world. I was in the broken world. And, and I remember when, when I had, I read the Bible, and I was just like, it says he's the same today, tomorrow, and a thousand years. And he talked then. Why would he not talk now? Why would he not want to talk to my heart now? You know, people who are parents, would you not want to talk to your children? You want to talk to your children. You want that face-to-face. You want that intimacy. And so I just remember, like, Lord, I know this is you, but can you just, can you just speak to my heart? Because I'm having a hard time here. People are calling me crazy. They're saying it's not you, like, but I believe it's you. And he said, the first thing he said to me, he said, my child, quiet yourself down, still yourself. And the first thing he said was, that place deep inside you, that small voice, that's me. That's me. And at the time, I had had this, I had this prayer that was like, Lord, if you are painting this masterpiece painting, like one of these beautiful paintings, if you are painting this masterpiece painting, I want to be able to be used by you. I want to be able to give you my life to be big strokes, not just some teeny tiny fine point brush, you know? And he, the first thing he said to me after this was, every single one of my children have the ability to be a big paintbrush. All that matters is how much of their life they give to me. And so in that moment, I was like, have it all, Lord. Just take it all. Have it all. And so, I mean, from that point on, he just redirected my life completely. He just completely transformed everything. There was no more drugs, no more alcohol. He moved me from where I was in this place of brokenness to this place of wholeness. And he had showed my heart what our hearts are like when we let hurt define our lives. So if you imagine this beautiful, you know how the Bible talks about the new earth and new Jerusalem, just this beautiful untouched earth. Like it's so gorgeous and green and and just beautiful. And there's this river in the middle. There's this river and it's just life. You can feel the life on it. And then there's a boulder in the river, this huge boulder. And after the boulder, it's just cracked desert. It's bare and it's barren desert. And I felt the Lord say to me, this is what our hearts are like when we let hurt define our lives and define our heart. That when we wall ourselves off from people, we don't realize we're walling ourselves off from God's love too and from God to be able to pour into our lives because he won't overstep our free will. He won't. So even if that boulder came up just a little, that river could rush right through 
And he said, when you give your hurt and your heart to him, that river is going to transform those dry places. That river is going to transform those barren places. And sometimes hurt is so hard to let go of. But we can either let pain define us or we can let God define us. And I mean, in my story, the first step to freedom was forgiveness. That was the first step. And, and the funny thing is, is when I went to my stepmother after I had God in my heart, I didn't ask, I didn't go to her and want forgiveness for her, from her. I mean, I did, but I went to her and said, will you forgive me? Will you forgive me of the hurt I caused? Because we're all human. We're all human. And we don't realize the cycles we get caught in, the cycles of generational sin that we get caught in. And, um, but from that moment and from that first thing of forgiveness where I let my heart go, I let the pain go, the Lord was able to pour his life in and into every area until I am able to stand up here today and say that every single one of my family members has been transformed by the love of God. That my safe place with God has created a safe place in my family. That where there was abuse and hurt and just dry, broken places, the Lord has redeemed completely. And it all started with his love and his forgiveness. So come on. Yeah, that's good. Uh, I'm trying not to cry for her story because I love it. <laughs> um, so <laughs> my name's Cecilia. Um, and I was fortunate enough to grow up in a Christian household, sort of. Um, and for a long time, I didn't see the value in my story because I was like, I haven't been like redeemed from all these like really in your face things but I have been redeemed from a lot actually like there's glory on every story so um when I was five I accepted Christ and I was baptized when I was six um and so I grew up with the knowledge of God in my home like I knew that he um that he was in control I knew that um there was right from wrong and my heart's desire was to do what was right and follow that. Um, but when my father was not a Christian, oh, I'll hold it like this, that's louder. <laughs> my father was not a Christian, and so um, my mom and dad divorced when I was nine. And when they divorced, my family moved to a totally different state where my grandparents were, and we settled into a new life. Um, my father hadn't been around much anyway because he worked all the time, and so I don't really have much memory of my father being present. And the divorce just made that feel even more normal, like, oh, he's just not around. Um, and so people who looked at my family and my siblings and I said, oh, you've adjusted so well. Like, you would never know that you're a child of divorce. Like, you're, you've settled in so well. But that was because I was trying so hard to do the right thing and to please people because I wasn't receiving the affection from my father. And so I was looking for affection from authority figures. I was looking for affection from teachers and anyone who would tell me that I'm doing a good job. Um, so when I moved, when I was nine, I started playing piano. Um, and I did really well at that. I tended to do really good at things, partly because I was gifted, but partly because I wanted approval. <laughs> and <laughs> um, the other kids didn't like that, but I didn't really care because <laughs> that wasn't their approval I was looking for. Um, and then 
two years -ish later, I started playing another instrument, which is called the oboe. If you don't know what that is, that is totally okay, <laughs> because a lot of people don't. <laughs> but it's a wind instrument, um, and I just fell in love. I love that instrument. First of all, not many people play it, and so I was excited because, oh, I'm the only one, and <laughs> also because there is something about using your breath to create sound that just I loved. Um, and so I started doing that, and I started doing really well at that. And by the time I got to the end of high school, I had started studying with some serious teachers and wanted to make that my focus and goal. Like, I'm going to go into music performance. This is what my life is. Um, and so I took a year off after high school to just practice. And then I took auditions, and I was accepted into a school uh, called the New England Conservatory of Music. It's in Boston in the US. And it's like, um, if you're familiar with Juilliard, it's the same kind of deal. So it's a very high-level uh, music school. We only do music, we don't do anything else. There's no math, there's no science, it's just music. Um, and <laughs> it is glorious. <laughs> it's wonderful to walk down halls and just hear music all the time. Um, but when I got there, I had been working so long to be the best I could be and to earn approval that the longer I was trying to earn approval, the more I was aware of my, uh, um, my mistakes and my flaws and the more I was unable to receive approval when it was given to me. Like all I believed was like, I'm not worth it, I'm not good enough, everyone here is better than me. If I go and play a performance, all I'm gonna remember afterwards or everything I did wrong. Um, like I honestly didn't have an audition or a performance or a concert where I could tell you the good thing. I could list you every single thing I did wrong. And people would say, oh, you did a good job. And I would say, oh, thanks. But in my mind, I had the list going all the time. Um, and that didn't really help me that year because I had some other things that came on top of it. I started studying with a teacher there, and I was her only student. All the other people who played my instrument were with someone else. So I was completely isolated. I had no encouragement or like relationship or deep relationship with the other students. And then my teacher started acting really strange. She had like, you know, in music you need to be on pitch. And I would go in for my lesson and I would play things for her and she would literally take a tuner, which shows where the pitch is, and she would stand in front of me and say like, oh, that's sharp, 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 bring it down, bring it down, oh, that's flat, bring it up, bring it up. And she would just say that I was off the whole time and I was like, what do you want me to do? Like, it's 90 degrees in this room, there's all these other things going on. and Or she would, tell me to play the same thing over and over again, but she wouldn't tell me how to fix it. She would, I would, you have to make reads for the oboe, which is time consuming and terrible. <laughs> and <laughs> I would make all these reads to play my instrument and I would bring them in and she would just say, these are all bad. And I, she, but she wouldn't give me any advice. And so I would just begin this like spiral of, gosh, I must be really, really awful at this. I shouldn't be here. I don't deserve to be here. No one else like loves me. and. I just felt completely rejected and isolated. Um, and by the end of that year, um, I had discovered, in addition to all of those things, that my instrument was actually broken. So I had been playing on a broken instrument the whole year, and there was all this air leaking out of my instrument that was affecting me. And um, so I had to send the instrument away to be repaired, and that was a three-month process, and I was without an instrument for those three months. It was over the summer. And guys, I, I don't think I've ever been in a sadder 
or more lonesome place in my life because I had put so much stock in who I was and what I did. Like, I was known as the musician, like, but I was a terrible musician. So not only <laughs> is my instrument gone and I can't be a musician, but like everything that defined me was just bubbling up of like, I'm, I'm worthless, I, I can't do this, I'm not enough. And I was just, I didn't know who I was and I didn't realize I didn't know who I was until that instrument was taken from me. And so while my instrument was getting a repair, the Lord came in and started doing a repair of his own in my heart. <laughs> so um, he started showing me what my identity really was. And when I came back to school the next year, um, I remember still struggling with some of those things. And one day I was just on the floor, just shouting at God, like, you should, I like should have never played the oboe. I'm no good at this. Like, why did you give this to me? And I heard the voice of the father for the, probably one of the first times because if growing up in a Christian home, I knew right from wrong, but I had an absent father. And so I didn't understand his voice as loving and kind and close to me. He was just distant and far, and I was unable to come close to him. And I heard the voice of the father say, daughter, get up off the floor. And he said, I wouldn't have given this to you like if I didn't want you to have it. Like This is for you, and I love you, and I'm so proud of you. And he's just gave me all this affection and encouragement. Um, and it was about that time that he started to speak to my heart about, like, would you surrender this? Would you lay it down? I know it's been 12 years of your life, and it's all you know, but will you lay it down? And he was teaching me that he was so good that I was like, yeah, I guess I will. Like, if this is what you want from me, then I'll lay it down. And so I did, and um, it's been about seven years since I did that. But one of the promises he made to me is that I will return music to you. Like, if you surrender it, I'll return it. And so I, sur <laughs> so I laid it down. And the work that he's done in that time period when I give that up to him has just been identity deposits of who I am and just the realization that the Father is close and he's real and he's loving and he's so good all the time. And I've just come into a new place of the affection of the Father. And so now when I'm able to get up here and do this this morning, that's him returning it to me, guys. Yeah. Because I would not have been able to do this seven years ago. I would have been so afraid of your judgment that I wouldn't have been able to do this. But because I know the love of a father who's good all the time, I could just step into freedom and be who I am. So... <laughs> I just want to encourage you this morning that wherever you find yourself, whatever you have that he's asking for, you can lay it down because he's going to be faithful to give it back to you when it's time. And he's going to show you your good, the goodness of his heart in the meantime. So, yeah. I wonder if we can all stand and just clap for Cecilia. You're amazing. You're amazing, Cecilia. Really, what you did today, like, that's an inspiration for me. It really is. That is amazing. It's so good. It's so, it's so good. Okay, guys. I was wondering why I was wearing a long sleeve shirt today, because I never do, and it's because my armpits are soaking wet. So thank you, Jesus. Um... So my name's Addison, 
Thank you. Thank you. And if you know me, you know I love to share my testimony. Um, I think because it's, for me, I get to reflect, and each time I reflect, there's more healing. There's just more layers. And also, like, when I was talking to the Lord, he's like, your story is a key to freedom. Like, I really believe, like, my story is a prophetic word for somebody. And, like, I don't think this is just practice. The Lord's like, hey, get up there and practice. Like, I think someone's getting set free today. So, so when I was reflecting on my childhood, the Lord, he uh, pulled up the verse, Peter, I think it's Peter 4.8, and it's stay sober-minded, be diligent, because the enemy's like a lion looking for someone to, to get. So my household, there was no sober mind in there. Alcoholic parents, a lot of dysfunction. Um, I was abused sexually, physically in my house. When I was three, I was diagnosed with cancer. So there was just a lot of turmoil in my house and a lot of things I couldn't deal with. My father was very distant. He wasn't very close. Um, so yeah, I think one of my abusers was a woman, a physical abuser. My sexual abuser was a man. And my father was very distant. He was this macho man dude who liked to work out. He didn't talk to me ever. And all I heard from my parents, or my mother and my sister, were junk about men. So I think around this time, my identity of what a man was just completely got ripped out from underneath me. And I had no, I just did not even feel safe in my own body. Like really, just manhood to me, I just was ashamed that I even was a man. Um, So growing up, I think after I was sexually abused by another man, Everything switched for me. I was in the dark all the time, and I had no one to talk to ever. Um, and I just grew up. As soon I saw my sisters drink and drugging, and I remember there was like this time card in my head. I was like, all right, once I get to 11, I'm in the clear. I get to do what they did. Uh, so right about when I was 11 and 12, I started experimenting with drinking, pot, shrooms, acid, anything I get my hands on. I was getting hurt a lot. Um, so opiates were a big thing for me. So literally anything I could do to change my way of thinking, I was doing. Anything I could do to escape, I was doing. So this lasted from about 12 to 19 years old. I was just constantly, constantly in pain. But in the back of my head, like every minute of every day, I was thinking about God. Like all the time. I was like, all right, where are you? What is it? Is it Buddhist? Is it Christian? Like what is it? Like please, I got to know. What is death? What is life? What does it look like to be alive? Like, and I just knew. I remember there was this one time, I think I was 17, and I was tripping shrooms, and I just had, sorry, I just had this crazy experience. And when I was done, I just had this moment. I was like, you know what? This is the last time I'm ever doing this because I know for a fact I can make this real. This, like, this feeling I have in my body when I take these drugs, I know this is real, and I'm going to search it until the day I die. Like, from now on, I'm going to find this. I'm going to find this feeling. Um, so, I think around when I was 19, after all this life had built up to the age of 19, I was depressed, suicidal, bipolar, paranoid. I couldn't talk to people unless I was on drugs. And I was just having a really hard time. And it's funny, one of my buddies who I do a lot of drugs with, you all know the Hillsong United, I'm guessing? There's a song, Oceans. And one of my drug buddies, he showed me this song. He had no clue it was a Christian song. Like, <laughs> no clue. He's just like, bro, I was high off my mind. I heard this song. Like, you got to hear it. And so he plays it for me. And I'm, I'm, in my, I'm in my bedroom, in my dorm. And 
that thing came on, and I, something happened to me. I just kept playing that thing for weeks, for weeks. And I'm, I still, I heard she was talking about God, but I was like, this is just a banging song. Like, it just sounds good. I'll just keep listening to it. Yeah. Um, but I ended up going to get a Hillsong United CD. And like, I, I, looking back on it now, I'm like, the Lord was after me. Like, he was coming after me. I was, I, was, I was closing every door possible, but he was just ripping them down, like, straight up. Um, so I would find myself, like, running out of parties and just going to my car and listening to Jesus music. And, like, it was so, it was so bizarre, y'all. Like, it was the weirdest thing ever. There was this one song that's like, all I need is you. I'd be like, yeah, that's true. I don't know who, but all I need is you. Um, so what happened after this, the depression didn't get better, even though I was listening to the music. Um, still, really, I was really paranoid. Like, I was scared of every person. Like, imagining myself standing in front of you guys, like, there's no way. There's just no way I could even fathom that I'd be here. Um, so all that was still building. And I dropped out of school. I was in university. I think that's what you'll call it, university. And I went home because I just couldn't take it anymore. I just couldn't take it. And I was like, if I stay here, I'm going to die. Like, i got to figure it out. So I go home. One of my best friends is in town. He grew up, um, he grew up in the church, but it wasn't free-spirited like this. It was very closed off. Like his mom, 9 a.m., you're reading your Bible till 10 a.m. No TV whatsoever. It's just like rules, 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 law, 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 law. So this buddy, he was in town, and he wanted to go downtown and get drinks with some people. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm down to do that. And I had to take drugs whenever I went out because there's just no way I could act normal. So he sees me taking these drugs, and he's like, hey, what is that? I was like, this is, this is Xanax. Like, it'll help you chill out. Like, you want some? He's like, yeah, I guess so. I'd love to be chilled out. Like, yeah, sure. So this kid takes drugs for the first time. Um, and we go downtown, downtown Nashville. I think we have like 20 beers. We just keep drinking all night. And he drove his car. And on the way home, all the windows are down. He's playing music as loud as he can. I mean, he's not even, I'm not even in the car with him anymore. It's just like him and he's just yelling as loud as he can. It's like this fake form of freedom that he discovered and was just like releasing all this like aggression and pain. And I remember just sitting in the car, like, trembling almost. Like, I knew it was bad, but I was so broken in my heart. Like, I couldn't even, this was my best friend, and I couldn't even tell him how I was feeling. I couldn't be like, dude, you're scaring me. Like, I was so broken and so fearful of what people thought of me, I couldn't even say it to my best friend. Like, hey, dude, you're freaking me out. We need to chill. So what ends up happening, magically we get to my house. And I'm like, Jesus. I wasn't saying Jesus. That's a lie. <laughs> I was like, somebody, thank you that we got here. But he decides to keep driving. And when he keeps driving, I'm like, bro, like, we should not be home right now. Like, this is a miracle we're home right now. And he's like, dude, it's all good. We'll go through the park, listen to one song, and then we'll go home. Um, and I was like, dude, whatever, let's do it. So the next thing I know, we're going to the park entrance and he flies into this field and starts doing donuts. And my heart just drops. And I remember just fastening my seatbelt. And then the rest was black. So I'm going to try to walk you all through quickly what happened. Um, 
what happened was we ran off. So the park's lined with trees, and it's one way. He went 30, probably 70 kilometers for y'all, maybe. 70 kilometers, and there was this turn, and he just went straight. And my head bashing in this tree, the truck got bent around this tree, and I was dead, like completely dead. I had brain hemorrhaging all across this brain, cut open this, all my arm, broke all these ribs, cracked my sternum. And he was out of it, and after a minute, he saw me just dead. So this dude pulls me out of the car, starts cracking my chest open, pounding my chest, and praying, like, please bring this man back to life. Please, please bring this man back to life. And sure enough, after like five minutes, I came back to life. Yeah. So what happened after that, this is when it gets crazy. We don't have our phones. He runs and gets help. And I guess probably an hour later, an ambulance comes. So what ends up happening was I'm watching them put my body into an ambulance. So I'm like up in the sky kind of in the dark, and I'm watching my body get pushed into this ambulance. And I'm slowly, they're closing the door. I can see my face in the ambulance. I can see the, the ambulance workers just like putting their hands on my body. And I'm just slowly going up, 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 up. And I see it drive off. And then the next thing I know, I'm just in this white light. Like it's just everywhere. It's not a sun. It's just this white piercing light everywhere. And I'm trying to like look around and see where I am. But I don't have a reference for walls or corners or anything because it's just beaming light down, up, left, right. It's everywhere. I don't have a body. And then immediately it hit me. I'm like, I'm in heaven. I'm like, I made it. And all of a sudden this just this joy came over me. I'm like, I made it. He's real. Like, this is incredible. Like, this is so good. And I just sit in the presence and just wash it in. And then what felt like days, I mean, I felt like I was there for days, I slowly start seeing my family's faces pop up in this hospital room. And I came back, was in this hospital room, which is nuts. It's just, it was crazy. And when I woke up in this, this bedroom, I mean, in the hospital room, no more anxiety, no more depression, no more bipolar, like no more paranoia. It was all just gone. It was all just it, just, it just vanished. And, you know, people, like, are really curious about healings. They're like, why does, because I love going out and healing people. Like, physical healing, I love it. Because that, that's what Jesus does. He heals people. He heals people. Yeah. What she said. Um, but what people don't realize, because they're always so curious, like, why did this person not get healed? Why didn't, it's not about whether they got healed or not. It's about being in the presence the presence is what heals you. The presence is what sets you free. I literally spent probably six hours in the presence of the Lord, the pure presence of the Lord, and I came out a new person, like complete new person. And it's funny too, like in Scripture too. Like I know some of y'all are hearing this, like, hey, I might want to die so I can go up to heaven. I go to heaven every day. Like this is part of being a child of God. This morning, this morning I woke up in bed and went to heaven. And so, Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. He didn't say hear. He said see. So the dude is literally seeing his Father in heaven, which means he is in two places at once. And we are called to be like Jesus and then some. So just by being children of God, we have access to all of heaven. All of heaven.
So I think I hit 10 minutes, but that's it. Do y'all even need to hear mine? Because that was amazing. Like, all these guys. Like, I'm like, what? The, just the, the amount and the presence of God in these people is, is nuts to me. It's, it's a beautiful thing. And spending this time with them, traveling, I'm like, <laughs> uh, Yeah, um, I warn you, I am a crier, so don't feel bad for me. It just happens. Um, yeah, that's just part of my story of growing up and... Um, that being consistently shut down, like all your feelings, you know, not accepted. I grew up um, four brothers, three of them older and one of them younger, um, really hard, kind of abusive um, discipline style in my home, and my mom being very disconnected from her emotions. So shutting me down, because none of that is, is okay to feel. So I grew up, okay, you got to toughen up. We got to toughen up. That's what we're going to do. We're going to get it together. You're going to toughen up and get in line. And uh, so I spent a lot of my time doing that. About 12 years old, somebody came to church and preached a sermon about, um, I mean, I, I grew up like Southern, kind of Southern Baptist, where it's, it, they don't necessarily see the Holy Spirit move. And so I was, so this guy is telling a story about how he had prayed over someone using a scripture and it stopped their bleeding. I was like, wait, like, hold up, that's possible? You know, like, th like, this is the stuff we can have? So I think that planted a seed for me, realizing, like, okay, I'm super passionate. Whatever it is that I do, I'm super passionate, whether it's loving people or food. I don't know who gave me the word, but yes, you got me. Um, food, like, anything I do, I'm just really passionate about it. I pull my whole heart into it, um, which leaves me really susceptible to get hurt. And so... I hear, this, I hear this testimony, and I'm like, that's it. I want it. I want that, because that's freedom. That's going to bring me freedom. I don't have to deal with any of this anymore, um, which is not, not, not true at that moment for me. <laughs> um, so I give my life, and I'm like, this is going to be amazing. So immediately, I go home. I'm telling my brothers, if you don't quit doing this, you're going to hell. If you don't quit doing this, you're going to hell. If you don't, and I'm preaching to these guys, and they're like, whatever. So about two years after that, um, I finally gave in, because I... My parents couldn't show me anything different, and the people we were sitting under teaching couldn't show me any different. And so I gave in and kind of just followed my brothers into, into hell. Honestly, it's not like they were leading me. I'm like, where are you guys going? I want to be a part of that. What are you doing? I want to be a part of that. And so by the time I'm 14, 15, I'm on all kinds of drugs. Um, I got hooked on meth. You guys call it ice. Um, and so I was, I was on that for several years. And... You know, throughout my teenage years, I was abused and drugged and raped on a couple of occasions, and um, I think it just dove me deep into suicide, and I think, oh, what was stolen there, but God is so good, because what, what was stolen from me in those years, like, he continued to draw me closer to him, and so I would be in the midst of cutting out lines of meth for my friends, and he would be like, pull out your Bible. I'd be like, what? Who was that? That's not the voices I typically hear. <laughs> so I was, I was like, okay. And I remember the first time I did it, I was living with my ex-boyfriend um, with a group of people and, you know, all kinds of haywire going, going loose in the house, and he tells me. And so I'm like, okay. So I, I, just, I pull it out, 
And I opened it up, and as soon as I did, I was like, whoa, I've never seen it like that. Not given. I know I was drug-induced, but there was something on this, something on it for me. And change started happening. It was more and more seeds starting being planted. And then he put a woman in my life who was so kind and gentle and just looked after me. She was just so kind to me. And that started to turn the wheels for me. Like, there's something better. Like, something about this just doesn't feel right anymore. Something about this just isn't right. So I was like, you know what? I'm done. I'm done. I was a cold turkey kind of girl. If I decide I want to do something, I'm doing it. And so, I mean, by the power of God, because it was meth, and it is very, you know, very addictive if you know what it is, I quit cold turkey. 2005 to 2006, it was New Year's night. I said, I'm not starting another year with this. And so I did. And so after that, I started reading the word like it was food, basically for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I was reading the word. I was praying breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I was like, okay, I don't know any other way to do it, so I'm just going to do it like I eat. And if this is supposed to... if it's supposed to feed me, <laughs> like, like I said, food is a huge part of my story. <laughs> so I am, I'm reading this and, and praying and, you know, getting some, getting some pushback from people. But I'm like, you know what? I don't care. Like, I know where I'm going and I know what this has done for me. So all my emotions before this were like this. And I get with the Lord and, and they're kind of, they're still fluttering. Like, I'm still human. And, you know, we all are going to have moments of dipping and, and it's okay. There's nothing wrong with it. Even if you're so close to the Lord, like I think it's necessary. It shows the fluctuation of his heart as well. It never goes away from us, but his emotion, you know, he's impacted by our stories too. And so um, I realized like, oh, I can, I can kind of hang, hang more level, more level line and I don't have to be all over the place. So I was like, okay, wow, this is, this is amazing. I'm going to go with that. And so I, just, I came to Nashville to visit my brother, my oldest brother, Zane. He was... Um, in the military, and so I said, I'm going to come and visit him. And so he takes me to this church, and I was like, oh, okay, this is, this is kind of new, but I kind of like it at the same time. Like, it kind of rubbed me wrong a little bit, but I kind of liked it at the same time. So I was like, you know what? I need, to, I need to move to Nashville. That's what I need to do. So I go home, and I'm like, this is what I'm going to do. And so I left my boyfriend, moved in with a friend, and just really digging after the Lord. And um, I was going through, they had found a a lump in my throat, and we thought it was just an internally bleeding cyst, and so we get going with that, we're going to have it cut out, and then I'm packing my bags, I'm going to Nashville, this is going to be great. So they go in for surgery and found out that I have cancer, actually, because they they had biopsied it multiple times and didn't show up, and so found out I have cancer, cancer, and um, it had spread to my lymph system, so it was kind of like an emergency deal, like we had to get after it right then, and so we do, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to die, like, you know, 21, 22 years old, you hear cancer, and a lot of people in my family had died from cancer, so I'm thinking, this is it for me. Wow, I'm going out so young, and it shook my whole family, like my whole family. The relationship with my dad, I'm like, wow, Lord, like, you're so good. You can use anything. There's not one thing he can't use, and it shook my relationship with my dad so much, because we, we, even though we loved each other, we were very debating. We like to debate things, and, um, this just shook it, and we, we gained something that I never had. For the first time in my life, I'm 22 years old, and my dad tells me he's proud of me. Now, given it was because I survived cancer, but still, I took it. I didn't care. I didn't care because I was like, man, like, you don't see me as the girl who should have been a boy. You know, like, you don't see me like that anymore. And um, so, yeah, it's just so good. I'm like, Lord, you're so good. So I, I moved to Nashville. I pack up every, I get through the treatment pack up my bags, move to Nashville, and I'm like, this is going to be great. 
well, it wasn't. It was very miserable. I, I was distraught. I, my emotions were back again. I was, I was sad. I was lonely. I was so alone, completely isolated. And um, I, I just kept going with it. I was like, I'm not going to move home. I'm not going to give up. I'm, I'm going to keep going. So it was really hard, but I found a friend. And she introduced me to deeper places with the Lord. She's still one of my best friends, and she has seen the ugliest sides of me and still loved me. I was like, everybody needs somebody like that. I'm like, we really should be people like that. But, you know, I'm like, for me, it was, I was like, I didn't have a grid for that. So I'm like, okay, if this is what friendship's supposed to look like. I should, be, I should be sticking with someone through thick and thin. So even in her times where she was like, you know, washing away, the Lord taught me to stick with her. And I was like, oh, so good. And so um, keep moving forward. And I have another time where I am I'm almost raped and being held down again by someone who is very influential in the Christian realm. And I was like, what is happening? I literally just froze, and it was flashbacks of, of when I was 19. And I was like, just started begging for my life, basically, at that point. I was just so distraught over it. And he finally let me up, and I grabbed it and just ran for all I had. And I, I was like, at that moment, it just broke for me, like something else there has to be something else. Lord, you can keep me out of these places. Like, there has to be something else. And so I just started going after him. Whatever I could find, whoever would teach me, whatever it was, I just started going after him. And I met my husband, and I was like, oh, you have the answers. Like, it's you. You're going to lead me where I need to go. Well, he didn't have the answers. Um, <laughs> and it is a very, um, we've had a very, very hard several years of, um, me being very strong-willed and trying to set down what I think. Oh, you're not going to run over me. You're not going to run over me. And so the Lord's been really kind to me there and teaching me through it. Um, but finally, I convinced him that maybe we needed to see, like, we needed to find a church that was going to take us deeper. Like, we, like, I can only get so far where we're, where we're being fed right now. And so we switched to Grace Center. I'd known about them for, like, 10 years, and so I was like, that's where I want to go. Let's go. And so I dive in. I'm meeting with the women's group. I'm meeting with the mom's group. I'm getting prophetic ministry. I'm getting prayer. Like anything I can get my hands on, I'm taking it in. And chains start breaking off. I'm telling you, like, like physical weights. And I had no clue that that was what was, like, that's slowing me down. That's how you guys are catching up to me because all that crap is slowing me down. And so I'm just going after him. And my brother Zane had um, moved over to overseas and so I'm, I'm learning how to hear the voice of God and teaching him. And so um, my brother, Zane, was, he's really special to me. Like all of them are, but this guy, he had something special about him. Um, he, had a, he was born with a cleft palate. So if you know that you're that's split through the, through the roof of their mouth. And so his whole life, people had just destroyed him, really just came after him out of the woodwork to tear him apart. I mean, like, the impact on his life it's just phenomenal. And I'm like, obviously, the enemy would try to t attack him. Um, and, and he got to him many times. But this time, this time the Lord won because Zane learned how to hear God's voice for him. And he was about to have another surgery, kind of trying to continue to fix it. Now, he probably had like 30 surgeries his whole life. And he's like, Casey, calls me up. He's like, Casey, you're not going to believe this. He goes, I heard the voice of God. I was like, what? <laughs> That's amazing, Zane. What did he say? And he said, oh, my whole life I've asked him, why did you make me this way? Why did you make me different? Why did I come all put together like everybody else? Like, why did you make me different? 
And Lord said, I made you different because you are different. I made you unique to me, you know. And it, it literally broke something off my brother. Hearing God's voice broke something for him. And that man, he just, he was already excelling. Like God was doing just crazy things with him. He just took off. And so two months after that, I get a call that they died. And I thought it might kill me in their days, even though the last year, I thought I was literally going to die. But God, God is so good. He's so good because in the darkest place of my life, I thought, man, it can't get any worse than what's back there. Can't get any worse. And it, it did. It did. One of, one of, I mean, and I'm not saying that's for everybody, but for my story, it, it did. But what that man gave me from, from his, the Lord showed me a picture that this was, what Zane left me was a preparation to accommodate a move of God because I prayed for him to raise from the dead for nine days because I believe what God's word says. He said, if it raised Christ up, that's the same power that's for us. He said, hope, hope is my destiny. Even in the midst of this, hope is my destiny. And I have an inheritance waiting for me just like all you guys do. And I want it now. I want it here. I want to feel it in the land of the living. And so I said, never again that day. I said, never again do I want to be found unprepared for a move of God. So I told my husband, I told the Lord, like, never again. I want to go to the school at Grace Center. I don't care what it costs me. I don't care what people think of me. I don't care how many times I'm embarrassed by sharing my sharing my story and crying the entire way through. I don't care because living a life without him is so much greater of a cost than living without it and living in our own pleasure. Because, man, you know, going after our, our own self-promotion, what it is, what I want today, what do I want to get out of this, what do I want to get from people, it destroys you. It will never feed you anything. And God so clearly showed me that. But he did it so kindly so kindly. He was so gentle with my heart. And every time I went to the wall up front in the school, and I'm like, wow, the Lord's showing me, like, this is my wailing wall where I'm laying down sorrows and I'm receiving healing. Like, so many times, and I'm like, Lord, you're so good. And you put this woman to continue to speak in my life and pour out over some of the ugliest places. You know, he's good to do that, and we should expect that from him. We should expect nothing less. So if you are, you're not receiving everything there is for you. And so when I realized that, I told the Lord, I'm like, I want to be changed. I want to be changed. Like, whatever it is that I'm starting my day with, I want it to be kindness. So no matter how someone treats me, I can withstand and still be kind. I can maintain a peace of place. And I'm going to tell you, I can, I can attest to that. This year, I sought him out for that, and he did it for me. I have been able to, time after time, come back to kindness. And I know that so many times people are like, God, I wish you would quit crying. I wish you would quit bellyaching. But I'm like, wow, my heart hurts because I'm learning how to do this. I'm learning how to do this. But I want it. I want it. Because kindness draws us to repentance. And that's going to draw us closer to the Lord. I'm like, I want that. I don't want anything else because I don't want anything separating me from his love and his direction and his peace and his place for me. So... Yeah, so that's where I am right now. The Lord has done amazing things. There's so much redemption. <laughs> yeah. So it's good. He's good. <laughs> Can we put our hands together for these guys?